the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we start uh, Hour 2 of our weekly roundtable known as Armchair Politics, featuring our uh, roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And joining us uh, for today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, political operative and 2020 elector, Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome back. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Um, Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about this uh, uh, Line 5 issue with uh, regard to... Um, I, and, and one of the points I, I wanted to bring up before we move on to the next thing is that there was a, a controversy about the building of the tunnel around the, the pipe, which I thought was going to be uh, encasing the existing pipe. And I've always been concerned about what happens to the pipe if they go a different route, whether whether they quit using the pipe and don't have any future pipelines there's still the pipe that's there. and um, But one of the things that they talked about, and it was somewhat controversial, was the idea of running power cables and communication uh, lines, uh, fiber optics and other things, through this tunnel and, and making it a utility tunnel. And I didn't think the decisions were made on that because of concerns about running electrical next to a pipeline. And now they're referring to it as a $500 million utility tunnel. Sure. I'll go but say money, should not be, money should not be the, the problem here. 
we we got to forget money. We got to do it so it lasts, so that people can believe in it, and that it works, and that it can be inspected and repaired all the time. It's got to be just like a human body. It goes to the hospital every year, and well, you inspect it. And Henry, that was something I thought we we all kind of agreed on last year when this uh, was being talked about, and actually coming out of uh, the end of. Um, well, the change in, in uh, governors from Rick Snyder to Gretchen Whitmer, and Gretchen Whitmer has always been against the pipeline. Um, Rick Snyder had uh, uh, sort of paved the way for uh, Enbridge to do this, what I thought was a containment tunnel. And we were all kind of in, in agreement, I thought, that a containment tunnel was probably the best short and long-term solution to dealing with the fact that the pipe already exists and it needs to be safer. Mm -hmm. Now, I support the governor's idea because the Great Lakes are one-sixth of the world's free water supply and it's too dangerous to risk. That's where I am. And we need to take the, and we can't let money be the petty um, difference between building something that's reliable and believable uh, by the public and trusted and mm-hmm. has proven to be working. So when, I, uh, and, uh, when, when Tom described this utility tunnel, the thing that occurred to me looking oh. at it from a political point of view is um, if you look at the general um, consensus of what's going on right now, there's a big push for alternative energy where oil and oil products are going to take a second seat regarding uh, the emphasis from the federal level because now that Joe Biden is in the White House, he will be naming the EPA chief and all of the regulations that have been pulled back will probably be brought forward. So when you mentioned the swamplands or the wetlands or anything else that has to come as a permit from the federal government, that's going to be a big issue. But to turn it into a utility tunnel, now you have brought in another concern or another interest or another uh, use for the tunnel, which sort of blunts the idea that it's just for petroleum products. Well, I I agree that you can use it as an internal uh, uh, utility tunnel because there isn't much air down there and, and explosions and fires would be limited. So uh, they have well, to be have that right? 16 parts of air for every part of petroleum. Yep. And that's well, not I would, be, I would be concerned about that. Plus, I'm not sure that the engineering and the technology would um, even be able to justify what they're proposing. Oh, that's, that's workable. It, it's been proven many, many times. If you go over to the old Buick site, you will still find those tunnels down there that carry all kinds of uh, wiring piping, um, and um, utility uh, uh, utility options for all kinds of systems in the tunnel, including Were there some early drawings of the tunnel that showed it to be almost uh, a thing you could walk through? I mean, I recall someone yeah. a year yeah, or so that, ago, we were joking, if you didn't have a bridge walk, you could have a tunnel walk on Labor <laughs> yeah. Day, because it, it seems so big for at least one initial concept of the thing. Yeah, they would have to be uh, five to six feet high. Well, that was yeah, that, that was my impression, off. and I thought it sounded like a, a good long-term solution 
to the aging pipeline that's there now by completely enclosing it with a tunnel that's the existing pipeline not new pipeline they would be able to work on it virtually year-round in in mm -hmm. uh, whenever things came up there were problems with the tunnel it would be or with the pipeline it would be enclosed in this tunnel and there'd be access to the pipeline that wouldn't be as complicated as it is now and it just sounded like uh, a, a great way to make a uh, dangerous situation safer now it sounds like they're they're stretching their permissions into uh, building new pipeline and enclosing it and abandoning sections of the old pipeline. Mm -hmm. But generally, pipe don't that pipe have a an, a life expectation of about fifty to sixty years. And we're well past that in age now. Right. So uh, there's something to be thought about. As you say, you're raising a question that ought to be considered. And my version of what we were going to do was we were going to go down underneath the, uh, the um, lake's floor and put a uh, concrete vault underneath the surface of the floor. And this way you wouldn't have the movement of the water reeking back and forth and the oxidation and irritation that causes dissolution of the outside surface or the piping, because this is all going to happen, because that's a force of nature. But if they move it down underneath the, the floor of the, the lake, uh, it would be less resistant to, uh, to movement, motion, due to ocean waves, due to mm -hmm. lake waves, and stuff like that. So I don't know where we're going with that, but uh, there's one that I think that works better than all of the others. It may cost a little money, but it's, it's worth saving the lake. I agree with the governor on that. Well, here's uh, an interesting uh, development. Michigan's top three elected officials are asking for the disbarment of four attorneys who pushed a false narrative of widespread election fraud in legal proceedings before multiple judges and courts, including the nation's highest judicial body, the U.S. Supreme Court, in their frivolous lawsuit, King v. Whitmer. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel's office on Thursday filed motions for sanctions in federal court against the same four lawyers, Michigan Attorneys uh, Greg Roll, Scott Hagerstrom, and uh, Stephanie uh, Gentila, along with Texas Attorney Sidney Powell. Monday, Nessel joined with Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, all three licensed attorneys themselves, in filing complaints with the Attorney uh, Grievance Commission of the State of Michigan and the State Bar of Texas, asking, asking that the attorneys be disbarred and lose their privilege to practice law in those states. What happens if frivolous lawsuits become grounds for disbarment? You lose a lot of attorneys. I would think. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, uh, um, Should that be grounds for disbarment? I mean, I'm not a big fan of frivolous lawsuits, don't, don't get me wrong, but... Um, well, go ahead, Paul. You know, I was going to say, I, I heard that was the reason why some of Trump's attorneys for the impeachment... Bailed bailed out in the past week is they were they were afraid if they pressed these these election issues they would face the same uh, the same challenges. 
Well, yeah, and I think I remember reading and hearing that an attorney, because they are an officer of the court and they're bound by law, uh, cannot uh, present evidence or testify to a lie to something that isn't true. And um, and if they do so, particularly screaming fraud, and they know it's not fraud, that then they are subject to disbarment. But but lawyers do that. When you're given a case and someone comes to you to protect my interest in court, and they're uh, they are rapists, they're killers, they are thieves, and that attorney has to uh, support the case under all conditions. He'll ask they him, did to, you lie about this? But he them. may know that that this this is a lie because it doesn't even make sense. They may that, have uh, they may have to defend them uh, because they're it's like that that wonderful constitutional law case where they're entitled to a defense if they are subject to being put in prison or having their life taken from them. But when you're talking about something that doesn't involve taking somebody's life or putting them in prison, and this is more like a civil case, then what you do have is the attorney supporting the lie and actually testifying as they present their argument to the lie. Well, however it works, it sounds bad to me. (laughs) I was going to say, even for a criminal case, what you're doing is trying to raise reasonable doubt. You're not necessarily saying my client is innocent. You're saying there's some doubt about whether he was a murderer or a rapist or, or whatever. Good point. So, you know, so in terms of the evidence, you'll, you'll pick away at the evidence, but you may not be directly claiming your, 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 your client is an innocent individual. But the point is on the frivolous <clears throat> law cases. Now, the, you can't get around that. But where do, where do we draw the line between, um, you know, defending people accused of crimes and this notion that... Uh, you know that there that in court it's required to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's still required, no matter what your testimony is. Yeah, it's constitution. Get but me. but aren't you essentially uh, being untrue if you walk into a court of law and you have a guilty client and and you stand up and say he didn't do this? No, I don't. I think uh, what Paul pointed out is they don't say he didn't do it. <laughs> they're saying proof he did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah Hen- he Henry allowed. He would, would wordsmith that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Henry, yeah. Al- yeah. allow, allow me to oversimplify. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it's up to the court to prove he didn't. It's not up to the defense attorney to, to prove he didn't. Right. Fair point. Fair point. Um. Anyway, we have to take a break here, but we're going to come back and uh, move our conversation to Washington when Armchair Politics continues with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, uh, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in uh, edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and then we'll return with more of uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And remember, the show repeats online all day and night, and it repeats on 92.1 FM at 9 p.m. 
Um, and also, you can find old shows in our archive. We'll be Hello, right back. darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers, and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to today's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders said Sunday that he thinks there are enough Democratic votes to pass a massive COVID-19 relief package through a process known as reconciliation as the country grapples with the economic fallout of the pandemic. Sanders, an independent who caucuses with the Democrats, has said that Democrats will use the move to pass the package by 51 votes in the Senate rather than 60 if Republicans don't move the legislation. Republicans used the reconciliation process when they attempted to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act in 2017 in the Senate. The GOP successfully used the process months later to overhaul the country's tax code, which passed with just Republican votes. Do you think President Biden will sign off on this strategy, or will he negotiate to bring some Republicans on board? What he should do is try to, to get some Republicans on board. He may I think he'd, 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 think he'd like to. That will cause more resentment. <laughs> by, by, uh, uh, he, may need, he may need to get more Republicans on board. I watched uh, an interview of Joe Manchin this morning, mm-hmm. and he was tap dancing pretty fast. So um, I'm not sure that he is on board with um, only Democratic votes pushing it through. So um, if Biden can pull away a few of the Republicans, which I think he would like to do, um, he's probably going to take a little, a little time, but not much. I think he has a deadline in mind. You know, Bobby, you yeah, said you were listening to the uh, conversation with uh, Chris Douglas this morning about the uh, about the economy and about that whole um, stock shorting uh, scheme that that backfired uh, last week. Right. Um, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure I understand reconciliation any better than I understood what Chris was trying to explain to me this morning about uh, shorting stocks. Well, I saw a discussion of this the other day, and it it originated back in the Nixon era when a law was passed that allowed um, a bill that deals only with the budget to come forward, and it only requires a simple majority to to pass, and I believe there's no debate allowed. Yeah, you don't need cloture. Yeah, I I think you don't need cloture, and you can pass it with a simple... Uh, 51 votes. However, I think you're limited to one of those every budget. At least that's what I heard. Mm. So if they do it through this reconciliation, it has to be just budget items, uh, anything impacting what that involves budgetary money, which means that the $15 an hour minimum wage cannot be part of it. There's some argument about that. And um, it can only be used once. So they can't go back to the to the well again during this budget season right, to right. do another reconciliation. And I think there's, then, a, there's a number of parts of the bill that might appeal, and they're not going to like everything, but there's, a, there's some parts of that bill that would appeal to some Republicans and their constituents in their states that might bring at least a, a handful of them across. Yeah, but once you do that, 
and even uh, Republicans uh, experience the same risk. But once you do that, you can't come back and expect for um, collaboration on other issues. That's the risk you make. You take. Yes, I well, think, I think historically yeah. speaking, historically speaking, Henry, the Republican Party is not in the mood. Now, the old Republican Party, the Eisenhower Republican Party, might have been more inclined to work toward the middle, but this Republican Party is not. So I wouldn't put my money on them going along. Just but like we don't want to endanger the, the 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 nation because of two outside parties that can't put their heads together. Yeah, uh, yeah, Henry. One is as resistant as another. I think the president. So nobody makes sense to me, and all of the pomp and stuff that Democrats send me and Republicans send me that has to do with someone's cheating. I cancel that stuff out right away. Whether it's Democrat or Republican, I don't even listen to it. Yeah, I think the I president's in a, in a rough spot, and and of course he he put himself there with some of the comments that he's made, um, because. I think he sincerely wants to try and build bridges across the aisle. I think he was that way when he was in the Senate himself, and I think he he thinks that he can do that now. But he's also um, dealing with a sense of urgency with regard to COVID mm-hmm. relief. And, and this is the perfect opportunity for him to make a few concessions. Maybe the $15 minimum wage needs to be considered separately, you know, at a different time. Um, yeah. You know, maybe there are some things that he could give up a little bit for the sake of trying to create some bipartisanship, but he's also you know, haunted by the experience with Obamacare when Republicans said, well, you've got to include the insurance companies and you've got to do this. And they put all that stuff into the bill and then not one Republican stood up and voted for it. And, and, and that, I think uh, that's awesome. Go ahead. Anyway, I think he's concerned about that, about that history and not wanting to make that same mistake yeah. at the cost of getting relief to people who, many of whom, really need it. Yeah, and I think also looking at the total uh, focus, it isn't just about relief, financial relief to families and people that need it. It's also about stimulating the economy. And I believe that the organizations that have come forward and supported the $1.9 trillion package are very well-founded, middle-of-the-road, economically-based thinkers, and they can see the benefit. And I remember Chris saying in the short run, yes, it would be a benefit, but there's no predicting what the impact will be in the long run. If you, yeah. yeah you know, as, as we look ahead and young people take their place in these seats in Washington 20 years from now, the argument will become not, uh, and Democrats are making the issue right now, that we want to uh, pass this $1.9 billion budget to really? uh, to, uh, to uh, improve the conditions of those people who are left behind. Now, we won't remember that. What, we will, what they will remember is that either Democrats or Republicans raised the debt limit or raised the uh, budget to $2 trillion, and it was the Democrats' fault or it was the Republicans' fault. And this, it will not be a coherent message for the new people who will take 
their positions 20 years from now. Well, the, the long-range concern, this is the first time that the uh, uh, national debt has exceeded the GDP since the since World yes. War Two. Right. Yeah. The, the the concern that I have is even if the uh, economic stimulus uh, and the COVID relief works and it does in fact stimulate the economy, will Congress have the discipline to bring our spending back in line and and get us down under that GDP level going forward? I'm not yeah. sure that or they will do. We increase the, will we increase the GDP? I think I that's, think that's in the long run, that's part. what we want to do. Possibility, but I, I think there'll be some some really harsh financial penalties for states, national, and local governments after the pandemic is long gone because because of all the the costs we've incurred in the process. Yes. Yeah. And there's that a lot will, of a lot of infrastructure that got pushed back, back down to the state level. Yeah, to respond yeah. to the COVID crisis. And I think the importance of this COVID relief bill is to reimburse the states and local governments for those monies because every state and local government has to function under a balanced budget. So what do we have? Yeah. They don't have a lot of opportunity to run into a deficit because they can't. It's going to be uh, harder, to fix, <laughs> harder to fix the damn roads. Bobby, yeah. how, how, how would you... Bobby, how would you explain to young people <clears throat> ten years from now why we passed, why we uh, voted for a budget increase that exceeded the GDP? How do you explain that to people? How would you? Under what circumstances? Well, in ten years, Henry, I'll be lucky if I can remember well, where. No, I'm, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> but, we are leaving well, an impact, and we want to leave some some coherent. Uh, to our young people. We owe them it, that. How do no, you I, explain, and I'm going to give you another question, how do you explain to young people in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years that the trickle-down economy that was put forward by Ronald Reagan and kept for, carrying forward by the Republican Party never, ever helped, never produced any trickle-down effect? I don't effect. see that. I think that we did exactly what we no. were supposed to do. When the Democrats came in following Reagan, they, they didn't find a problem with it. So that oh, is not Democrats an issue. Came in power so following Reagan, they saved the economy. Bill Clinton saved the economy. Every time the Republicans screw it up, the Democrats have to come in and clean it up. But these are political arguments. You have to use rational, logical arguments for young people. They don't have so any political arguments. I'm looking at economic arguments, not political arguments. I well, think it's played by using the World Wait. War II analogy. In other words, during World War II, great national crisis, we, we did exceed the, the, the GNP. And now here, with, if you take a look at the, the, the casualties from the coronavirus, we're about to exceed World War II. Well, and in many ways, point. it's a similar kind of crisis. Yeah, well, this is what I was asking. How do we collectively sit at this roundtable and explain why we are exceeding the national uh, debt? We're saving the country. And yes, how do you explain that? For the same that? reason we did it during due World to War II. Well, rationally, due to something other than a political argument. We're saving the, the country. That's a political argument. Well, I, I think, well, in a I, way, I, I, I don't think know the... what's saving the country, but it's, 
I think it's the only way to... We, uh, Dean, can I just... Yeah, go ahead, Henry. I'm sorry. Uh, what we're doing is that we are facing a crisis due to something that was beyond our control. And COVID came about, and it changed the way we did business. It stalled the country and stuff like that. And we had to find a way to work together over political issues to solve the problem. And in so doing, uh, it cost us in the last analysis $2 trillion, which exceeded the, you know, the GDP. But you can't just blame on politics. We're all guilty. We can't get out of it. Even I'm guilty, and I didn't even vote. I'm in the monastery. We needed to prime the uh, pump would be the, uh, the rationale that I would use then and now. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's like going into okay. debt for anything that's going to be a long-term benefit. Yeah, but we, as we look back, we need to make sure that we all accept responsibility for what happened. And, and that was what I was trying to get at, Henry, when I said, well, you know, will Congress have the discipline to make the adjustments when the economy starts working again to, you know, basically repay itself for this jump start? Yep. And, yeah. and I, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, but here, let's, let's see if we can move on to uh, another thing that's been in the news um, and I may be a little bit behind on this, so feel free to update me after I read this piece. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, was scheduled to meet with uh, controversial freshman Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene this week, according to uh, his uh, spokesperson. The announcement came as many House Republicans have been silent about Greene's newly resurfaced incendiary comments ranging from supporting violent threats against House Speaker Nancy Pelosi Pelosi to spreading baseless claims pertaining to school shootings. The Georgia Congresswoman was known for espousing conspiratorial and bigoted views leading up to her election to the House in November. Um, a uh, CNN K-File review of hundreds of posts and comments from Green's Facebook page shows that she repeatedly indicated support for executing prominent Democratic politicians in 2018 and 19 before being elected to Congress. McCarthy's scheduled involvement uh, comes after uh, several Democrats have denounced Green, with Pelosi on Thursday slamming House Republican leaders for not doing more to rebuke Green. The question I have, and, and this is much bigger than dealing with Green and whether or not she should continue on her committees or be removed from the, the House, does she have a legitimate constituency? No, she got yeah, elected. She must have, yeah, I, I yeah, assume she, she got, got elected, elected somehow. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the yeah, bigger concern? Is that, yeah. you know, this information was out there and people elected her anyway. Yeah. Did, did she have a Democratic rival in that election? I I'm not, I'm I mean, not I don't sure. remember. In fact, yeah. I had never even heard of her until... Yeah. Uh, it was described as a solid Republican district, but whether there was an opponent of any kind, I don't know. Oops. Sorry. I don't know either. I know the powers that be were um, endorsing her opponent. But, guys, I think that Miss Green is 
to the Republican Party what Cortez is to the Democratic Party. Cortez is an amazing leader. There's nobody like her. She's she doesn't deal with energy and, and, and conspiracy. Uh, yeah, but go, go ahead. I did not vote for Cortez, and I wouldn't vote for her. But I'm talking about her intellect. I'm talking about her authority that she exhibits, how she moves around in Washington and is effective. Even Republicans have to stand up and listen. But, and, and we have nobody like that on that. But I, I look past the, the representatives themselves, Henry, and wonder, and now I'm starting to sound a little like my good friend Barry Simon, um, when I say I, I look beyond them to the people who supported them, who elected them. Um, you know, is, is there a, a part of this country that, is, is, um, that believes the things that are being said, whether it's AOC on one side of the aisle or Green on the other. Um, you know, a AOC has said some pretty outrageous things, too. I think what happens is, is voters would go for an attitude more so than an issue. In other words, if they're just angry as hell at the world, that, that may be someone it. like you know, and they see someone like that, they will go for that. And that explains, frankly, I think that explains Trump to some degree from my point of view, but it explains some of the other candidates as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I don't see AOC establishing. She may have outrageous ideas, and she may, she may call herself a socialist, but I don't see her talking about lizard people or flat earth or lasers coming from outer space. That's my favorite one, you. Bobby, is the... Uh, <laughs> the, the the wildfires in uh, California being caused right. by space lasers. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's my personal favorite. Just you can't make yeah. that stuff fun. up. Yeah, but well, well, you know, as uh, my my point about uh, Cortez, she talks about the Green Project, and she's coherent. She's articulate. She makes a point felt, and people react to it. Now, uh, she does that in uh, not only. Uh, in that scenario, but in other scenarios as well. She's talking about the rights of women. She's very articulate, and she's very forward. Well, let me squeeze uh, one more thing in here before we uh, have to go to break again. Two Republican senators said Sunday they'll remain fair jurors and listen to the evidence presented during former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial set to begin uh, uh, what, the the ninth? Mm -hmm. um, Ohio Senator Rob Portman, a moderate Republican, told CNN's Dana Bash on State of the Union that he believed Trump's comments leading up to the Capitol attack were partly responsible for the violence and that he'll keep an open mind. Another moderate Republican, Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy, separately told Fox News Sunday he would wait to make a decision about his vote based on the evidence presented in the trial. The comments came just hours after Trump's five impeachment defense attorneys left the team, according to people familiar with the case, amid a disagreement over his legal strategy. And that raises the question, is the, quote, rigged election strategy, unquote, uh, former President Trump's best defense. Well, no, I, I think him, that the president he sets himself think, up if he goes if he goes before the Senate with that argument. I, I think so. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I you think... Know, you, uh, but, I was going to say, well, what strikes me here is is the the reaction of other Republicans against uh, Republicans who have who have voted for impeachment at some point, and the contrast you saw with Watergate, I don't recall there was any similar reaction for those Republicans who went to Richard Nixon and said, you know, it's time to hang it up, and 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 ended Nixon's term. But the the response against uh, the uh, <clears throat> The the Republicans who have voted for impeachment in some way or supported it is 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 is, is a sharp contrast to what we saw before with Watergate. Yeah, and I thought about this the other day. If um, if Donald Trump gets up and or his attorneys get up and started arguing on a rigged election and that he actually won and that and that this was all a big fraud and so on and so on. Uh, they've taken away the Republican argument from the Republicans that don't want to vote for impeachment or for expulsion or his failure to run again, is uh, that it's unconstitutional because that's what they're falling back on. We don't want to vote on the facts. We don't want to vote on whether he did it or didn't do it because it's wrong for us to be voting at all. But guys, I want to remind you that there is a fundamental difference between the Republican Party who has been here for 170 years, um, and Donald Trump or Kennedy. There's a fundamental difference. There may be a fundamental difference between Biden and the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party must be the ultimate. It must be the authority, not an individual. And the Republican Party is the same way. It's uh, it, there's, so it has to bend a little bit because it's being stressed by forces what about the, what it, about this idea of constitutionality uh of of uh taking a vote on a former president um my, i i i see one version of it as he was still a sitting president when he was impeached and the trial is a natural outgrowth of that constitutional impeachment um but can the things be considered separately? Can the impeachment be constitutionally legitimate, but the tr- the subsequent trial not be constitutional because he's no longer in office? I believe it's constitutional because he he committed the crime, so to speak, when he was in office, and this is just an outgrowth of the of what um, the impeachment brought forth, just like it would be if a trial and he was indicted. And and there's been precedent established that this is yeah. I say the, the, the history kind of leans in favor of it being legitimate. I mean, there are some interesting constitutional arguments you can make, but you take a look at the past history of impeachments, and there have been times when people who were out of office were impeached and so forth. So it's, I think the bulk of of legal opinion does argue that it's constitutional, although there are some a minority who lean the other direction, but I think the, the bulk of legal opinions argues that it is, it is legal and constitutional. Yeah, and I think the argument being made that you can't give somebody uh, full reign so that in the last two or three weeks of their service, <laughs> right. they commit any yeah. crime they want to, and then not be held accountable for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, fair point. We got to take a uh, another break here, and then we'll come back with uh, with the X Files as if we haven't already brushed up against them, <laughs> <laughs> doing the the uh, the regular headlines. Um, if you're listening to us on ninety two point one FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. We have some messages as hey! well. Hey, <laughs> this is the unknown comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. 
Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back to my favorite part of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, our final segment where we look at those weird and uh, wacky news events that are strange but true called The X-Files. Anthony Dow of uh, Leland had an accident on his way to work. The North Carolina Education uh, Lottery said in a statement Tuesday he hit two deer with his car. It ruined his day, so he went back home, got into bed, and went to sleep. Then he says, I woke up and checked my tickets. I checked the fourth ticket, and I saw the the uh, number four, and then the next number, and the next number, and the next number. He said his winning Mega Millions ticket matched all five white balls. The odds, one out of 12.6 million. Dow took his ticket to a store and won a million dollars. The prize doubled when the two-times Megaplier ticket was drawn. On Monday, he claimed his prize at the lottery headquarters in Raleigh and took home about $1.4 million after taxes. It just feels great, he said. I'm just going to fix things on my mother and father's house and get my car fixed, pay it off, and pay my niece's car off. The rest, he said, will go into savings. Um, is hitting two deer with your car an accident, or is it hunting? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> sometimes it's one, and then sometimes it's the other. Yeah, Not it's, this. That's some kind of a weird lucky sign for somebody. Yeah, I, I was going to say, if, if uh, karma means that you're going to end up with $2 million, uh, <laughs> I, I may go out and do a little hunting myself. <laughs> yeah, drive around. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to figure out how hitting two deer had anything to do with winning the lottery, but it certainly raises a question on why he went home and went to bed and slept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He probably didn't. <laughs> well... An agate gemstone recently discovered inside of volcanic rock could be worth more than $10,000 thanks to its uncanny resemblance to Cookie Monster from Sesame Street. 
The agate was reco uh, recovered from the Rio Grande do Sul region of Brazil by uh, gemologist Lucas Fasari, 33, in November of 2020, according to Kennedy News and uh, Media. Mike Bowers of California, who is the current owner of the sweet piece, posted a video of himself opening the unassuming rock on January 16th, which is backed by the Muppets' famous ditty. This is the music playing on the video. C is for cookie. Uh, the video begins with Bowers holding what looks to be a dull stone, but when he spills it open, the viewer is dazzled with uh, blue quartz crystals topped by what looks like the wide eyes and a gaping smile of the beloved cookie-inhaling character. Bowers told the outlet that he was proposed over $10,000 by five different buyers for the agate. If you cut open a rock, what would it have to look like for you to spend $10,000 for it? <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure the cookie monster would do it. I don't know. It'd have to be something worth about 20000 I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um... This was kind of weird. Sharp-eyed BBC viewers got an unexpected eyeful last week when they spotted something unusual on a bookshelf in the background of an interviewee. It was a penis. As Yvette Amos spoke with BBC Wales uh, about job struggles during the pandemic shutdowns, the object stood on a bookshelf just over her right shoulder. It's not clear if the object was intentionally left there, but Amos <laughs> seems to have a mischievous streak. Another shelf features the X-rated drawing game Scrawl, and the door just beyond has bloody handprints. Whatever the intention, fans popped up on social media, as you might imagine. In this age of Zoom, is it important to have viewer-friendly surroundings? Yeah, yeah. Check, yes. check your background before you go yeah. on Zoom. Always. That's right. <laughs> always. I always do. I move my computer so that all I have behind me is a wall and part of a painting. I just don't like all of it. Well, Texas issued a memorable Amber Alert on Friday for the missing son of the vicious Chucky doll of horror movie fame. The message described Chucky, the star of the 1988 Chills classic uh, uh, Child's Play, as the 28-year-old redhead suspect in the disappearance of his six-pound, five-year-old son, Glenn. Glenn Ray was born in the film Seed of Chucky. Dad clocked in at 16 pounds and three feet tall in his description. Chucky, according to the alert, was last seen wearing blue denim overalls with a multicolored striped shirt and wielding a huge kitchen knife. His race was listed as doll. <laughs> the alert, <laughs> typically sent out for actual missing children who may be in peril, was sent out via email three separate times to subscribers of the Texas Alerts System, according to KENS uh, Channel 5 TV. The State Department of Public Safety later issued a statement saying the alerts were sent in error. <laughs> Is pranking <laughs> official alert systems child's play? <laughs> Apparently so. In this case, yeah. 
I wondered if he got any response. Did anybody find one? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It didn't say anything about the responses. I was just surprised that quality control allowed it to go out three times. Yeah. It's it's one thing to hack a system and, you know, get a bogus uh, alert sent out, but to have it repeat two more times, I thought, was yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe they don't know how to spell quality control. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, uh, we just have a couple of minutes left uh, as we wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics. Any final thoughts, Henry? Yes. I wanted to bring yeah. up what Chris talked about regarding the Robin Hood. Oh, yeah. Um, Go ahead, Bobby. The sale of stock. Well, as he was describing, because your question was, how do people make money if they have a, a, a program or a facility where you could go and buy stock and you don't have to pay any brokerage fees or it doesn't cost you anything. And he described that they, they had a relationship with another uh, hedge fund where they could see ahead of time that people were going to buy the stock. They could buy it when it was lower priced. Then when the person bought it, they made money on it. And I thought, you know, that's too close to insider trading. If you know ahead of time somebody's going to buy stock and you buy it so that you can make money on it, and you've got you know a means to knowing that this is happening. Yeah, I was I was curious about that too, Bobby. Yeah, Yeah. there's a leak in the law because the laws are so convoluted that obviously. Well, that's why I asked him. How is that legal? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think he was a little stumped. Isn't the practice of kind of pumping and dumping stocks for these penny stocks a common one? I mean, I don't know where the law is on that, but I've certainly read over the years that for some of these penny stocks that you'll see mentioned in magazines, that they'll pump them up, then all of a sudden they'll raise the price, and then they'll dump, and the price falls back again. Isn't that sort of the same thing that's happening right now? It's 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 part of the game. It's part of the game. But go back in history and look at when uh, George W. Bush... Uh, brought in, and I'm trying to think, because at that time you could acquire, and Enron did it, acquire other businesses and then pump them up, like you're saying, and then dump them and then walk away with a lot of money, and then the businesses don't exist anymore. Yeah. Henry, what did you start to say? Well, my concern, real quickly, is the concern with our international relations with uh, China and... um, and Russia, um, I, they have a lot of military maneuvers in the Sea of Japan now. So I recall a year ago, maybe two years ago, when Donald Trump took the Seventh Fleet up the Sea of Japan and waved at the continent and came out without an incident. But yet now, uh, I think that President Biden and his Secretary of State says that we have a problem. And Trump may have been right about uh, looking at uh, China as a probable problem. And I just want that it's, it's all of our business to engage to support the Republicans when we face times like this. And this, that's all I want to say. Good enough. Well, I want to say thank you to all of you. Henry, it's always a pleasure. Henry Hatter. Thank you. And uh, Paul Rosicki, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Always good to be here. And uh, Bobby, thanks so much. It's it's uh, always a lot of fun when you join us uh, for the roundtable. Thank you, thank you. I enjoy talking. Thank you, Bobby. Take care, Bobby. Okay. With that, good night, everybody.
program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.